Hi, and welcome to another episode of High Time, Time for True Crime. Crime. I'm Khadija. And I'm Catherine. And today we'll be talking about the Pharmacist episode four. The fourth and final episode of this whirlwind of a story. <laughs> and we still have more to go. We do. But here's the da, 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 trailer. <laughs> I'm Dan Schneider, and I'm a pharmacist. I can almost remember every piece of my life. I have hundreds of hours from wiretapping phone conversations about what happened to me. My son was murdered, buying crack. The police have the attitude that these kids maybe got what they deserved. But I was determined to get the killer off the street. And if the police wasn't going to do it, I was going to do it. At first, my mission was to get justice for my son. But then I started noticing in the drugstore a lot of kids around my son's age coming in with high-powered opiate prescriptions for Oxycontin. Word on the street was, it's just heroin and a pill. There was a certain doctor using her license to virtually decimate my community. I couldn't look the other way. There was a rumor that there was a pharmacist making a lot of noise, and that's not good for business. He had questions all the time. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? There were boxes and boxes of materials. All right, Dan, we're not being recorded again, are we? No. The DA and FBI was neither incompetent or in cahoots. I just knew that people were making money. If there ever was a smoking gun, that was it. I am being followed. We sounded crazy. I think they waving a gun at me. Well, my God, and hopefully anybody else who hears this, because I'm losing it. But I saw this opiate epidemic in its infancy. I'm not going to let this drug continue to kill. So we last left off basically reading Purdue Pharma for Filth and focusing on how New Orleans East was like the epicenter of the opioid crisis, all because of Dr. Cleggett, who they literally bring out for us to see. And In the then last three seconds of the episode. That's it. So episode four starts with us having to hear her side. I'm not really empathizing. I don't know. Maybe I'm a bad person. Maybe instant karma's gonna get you. Shh. I mean, it's fair enough to have her in here. If they had I mean, Jeffrey, yeah, yeah, yeah. If Jeffrey could say his piece, then I guess Dr. Foggy. <sighs> we'll just listen to yeah, what she has to say. Here, here but we yeah, go. she's put Dr. Cleggett on the phone. Yeah, she's basically just talking about. How this all, like, kind of went down, I mean, she just out of nowhere... Was asleep. Was jumped car. on by DEA, CIA, FBI. Everyone but the New Orleans Police Department, because they were already there, inside, guarding her doors. That was probably the most difficult day of my life. Today, the State Board of Medical Examiners summarily suspended Dr. Jacqueline Cleggett. Cleggett's lawyer tells us he'll be asking for a full hearing tomorrow. I spent a very, very long time to become a physician. Too many hardships I had to endure to actually get to where I was, to have it snatched away. 
My desire to become a physician started when I was eight years old. I wanted to help people, simple as that. Chronic pain is subjective. You must rely on a patient's explanation because often there are no physical signs that you can objectively diagnose. In other words, your pain is what you say it is. In seeking to help patients, you try to provide the best possible resource to them. So listening to her speak is just mind-boggling. Um, she does sound like that because she was intubated for a while. What was it, six weeks, I think? It was six weeks. Yeah. But we'll get to why she was intubated. Yeah. So, of course, like, she... She's stressful to, like, look at. Yeah. As well. I mean, she's been through some shit, but... Clearly. Like, you can clearly tell, like, something's not going... Like, something's not right. Like, yeah. Like, she didn't just live her life. And also, she's wearing street clothes. Yeah. She's, she's in a fucking normal orange. chair. Yeah, she's, she's not, not orange. No, she's not in a monotone color. She's not in, like, a really weird-looking space. Like, she's literally walking amongst us. Which... Is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. So once they get Dr. Cleggett on the phone. <laughs> yeah, pretty much once they put her on the screen and they're asking her questions of one of the uh, people behind the camera, my producers are asking her this question and just hearing her response, just, just roll the clip. Do you remember any of your patients dying? Do you have specific patients in mind? I don't know, Dr. Cluggett. Maybe maybe Dan and the rest of them have some receipts to pull. Please take her away, Netflix. Like, I don't have any respect for this woman. Please take her off my fucking screen. She doesn't need to talk anymore. Clearly, she's already hoarse. I need her to get the fuck off my screen. I cannot believe that she had the audacity to say, well, do you remember specifics? There's so many. Can you just... Bitch, all of them. Like, there's a lot But, you know, them. she was wearing a fucking pill mill, so I'm pretty she sure she wasn't asking any anybody fucking... No, no, she didn't even look at the names on the charts. No, and it didn't matter if they died. There were still... Once one person died, there were 10 more people to take their spot. Like, whoo. I'm already done with Dr. Cluggett and we're only mm, <laughs> like two, like two minutes in into this, into this move and not this movie, into the documentary. In April, 2002, Dr. Cluggett's medical license finally was suspended, which this pretty much gives her time period to get her shit together before she's testifying in court. But little did she know the DEA already had a lot of information. They had a lot of shit up their sleeves and this is what they had to say. After Dr. Cleggett's license was suspended, you have to give the physician a due process hearing within uh, 90 days uh, of the time that you summarily suspend. So the clock is ticking. In the complaint, there is well over 100 factual allegations, 50, 60 pages. 
family members contacted Dr. Cleggett and tried to get her to agree to quit treating their son or daughter or husband because they were addicted and impaired and they were misusing their medications and they got no um, response from Dr. Cleggett or if they, they got a response, it was negative. We had affidavits from coroners, uh, DEA people, you know, narcotics agents. They see young people with foam coming out of their mouths, Oxycontin bottles with Dr. Cleggett's name on it strewn on the floor. I had all of that ready to go, and I was ready to move. Now, of course, as we learn, she is literally killing people all over the southern United States. Yeah. She There's has bodies. She has yeah, a body count at this point. I mean, the coroners are picking up bodies off of the floor, and they're seeing Dr. Cleggett's pill, prescription pill, like, bottles all over. All over. I'm sure people still were holding the bottles in their hands. Probably. And it's just crazy to see that these people, like, EMTs and all these people are seeing who it's coming from, but, like, nothing's really being done. I yeah. mean, of course, from our perspective and Dan's perspective, we're just like, what's happening? But then, like, the DEA iris is just like, we're doing stuff, we have evidence, but we just need to collect a little bit more, we need yeah. our smoking gun. And, of course, Dr. Quiet, you know, she also has a fucking smoke bomb up her, up her sleeve. Oh, my God. And yeah, it makes you wonder why, how she could be so, like, nonchalant about this. And then we realize the reason was... We had a hearing set, and a few days before the hearing, we get word Dr. Cleggett has been admitted to the Paul Tulane Behavioral Center for opiate abuse and cannot attend the hearing. DEA had information from some patients who said that Dr. Cleggett not only gave out prescription drugs, she used prescriptions. On one occasion, while we were conducting observation, I saw Dr. Clinkett taking pills herself when arriving at the clinic. We got a search warrant to search her home. In plain view, there were numerous bottles of prescription medication, some with pills in them, some empty, just laying around in Dr. Clinkett's home. Okay, of course, Dr. Claggett is not going to admit that she was self-medicating, but of course, we know that she's a fucking liar. But anyways, she goes to rehab, and after getting her documentation saying that she was addicted, mm. even though she just claimed that she's never, ever self-medicated or been addicted, <sighs> she gets her documentation basically saying that you know okay she was a doctor she was addicted she decided to voluntarily go to rehab which we've learned if you do so you then, can get your damn medical license back which i do have i have qualms with that i have a I problem do. with that i don't mind if you actually take i feel like it should be more than it's like what 60 it's I like six months i feel like you shouldn't be actually allowed to prescribe anything i feel like you should be able For to see patients bit. and then refer yeah like 
like at my doctor's office, um, I sometimes see a nurse practitioner. She can't actually sign my no. prescriptions, but like, well, I mean, a nurse can't prescribe you anything. No. So basically, you're just but, a nurse, but you're still but a you're, doctor. But yeah, I feel like they shouldn't be allowed to yeah. write for a while, for at least a while. I get there's a redemption arc. I believe in rehabilitation. Yes. However, definitely. this bitch yeah. really slipped through the motherfucking cracks, and that's that on that. I mean. Dan I mean, thought they were slipping through the crack, but she wasn't. They just have to do process, right. unfortunately. But as far as, I don't know, it's just wild. This whole situation is just 50 yeah. shades of fucked up. <laughs> Anyways, after going to rehab and all that stuff, Dr. Cleggett's, her license is taken away. They pretty much made a deal with the fucking devil. They told her that if you give up your medical license, then you will we'll give you a slap on the wrist, basically. Not even a slap on the wrist. Like, we literally will roll out a red carpet for you. They literally said, like, we will make sure that you have no responsibility in it if you just give your medical license away. They literally did not put her down for any type of responsibility for no. this whole entire epidemic that happened. And it's crazy. It's absolutely, I mean, just, I'm enraged, honestly. I have very few words. And, I mean, the greatest thing about this is that after that, she had to deal with the U.S. attorney. Yeah. And they weren't going to let that shit go. And they had a secret weapon. Yeah. They decided to pretty much indict her and they call in Dan. And Dan is their primary witness because he pretty much has, like, at least a good half or 75% of This man the has an attic full evidence. of receipts. <laughs> yeah, he knows a lot of stuff. And after they have Dan um, come in to be the primary witness, they also call Chris Davis, who was our favorite from uh, he was Purdue Pharma. Rep, yeah. yeah, so they basically have him and call him as like an expert witness to talk about Cleggett. Oxycontin, the territory situation, and how New Orleans East was making buku bucks and he couldn't understand it. So they had two people that knew quite a bit and yeah. and were very good at public yeah, speaking. For and, sure. Yeah. But unfortunately for Dr. Claggett, they had Dan, they had Chris Davis, and they had Karma. Karma was on its way to come see her, and you'll learn a little bit more about this in uh, the next clip. Right before the indictment, I heard that Dr. Cleggett was in a car accident. I was asleep on the passenger side. The driver took out a section of trees going approximately 80 miles an hour. When they said I nearly died in that crash, they were correct. I had a hangman's fracture, which is what happens when you hang from a noose and break your neck. I suffered the exact same injury in the car accident. I had two brain hemorrhages, five skull fractures. The reason why I sound different is because I was intubated for six weeks. My voice is now higher and squeakier. Karma, 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 chameleon. <laughs> I don't think 
think that'll get copyrighted. I don't think so. Boy <laughs> George, I really love you. You're fab. Don't. Fair enough. Yeah. Or Instacom is gonna get you. The Beatles. Well, it's John Lennon, but who's dead? What's he gonna say about it? I'm sorry. But yeah, um, I'm sorry that it all kind of seems to have caught up with Dr. Cluggett at this moment. Yeah. She pretty much just explained to us what happened in all of her injuries that she sustained. And honestly, when I was watching this, I was just like, okay, good. Shit happens. Yeah. I was like, um, I hope we also have to get prescribed Oxy and you get addicted to it because you literally you are responsible. worth a plug for the whole entire like entire southern southeast. region i wasn't even sure if she was even getting her shit from purdue at that point she might as well just she's it probably through. cooking it up yeah the- they're whooping it up in the kitchen next to the popeyes i was gonna say that's where all the popeyes were being used for <laughs> i love popeyes they have to put I do too. they must put something in that chicken hmm. the real the real scam alert oh yeah but yeah so she's in the hospital she's intubated this is her speaking to us pretty much like for the first time yeah. and telling us why what sounds like is that. going on, like what the fuck happened. Yeah, why she sounds like that and why she looked like that too and like yeah. what's going on. But I think Karma is definitely a bitch and she, um, for the most part, deserved it. I mean, she ruined so many people's lives and killed a number of people. I don't care yeah. what your stance is on addicts, but if she wasn't supplying these people legally, then, like, something could have been done. It was next level. She was, a, like, funneling she, I mean, she was totally criminally negligent. Oh, yeah, for sure. But anyways, uh, the whole end result of this debacle with Dr. Cleggett is at the end, they pretty much give her a plea deal. She pleads guilty, even though she said that she was not guilty of anything that they convicted her of. Huh, you don't say. Yeah. So with the plea deal, she pretty much is able to just go on living her best fucking life. Basically. Yeah. She gets three years probation, Ooh. three whole years. And they didn't give her a single day of jail time because of her car accident and how badly she was injured. Like they gave her no jail time. She no. Didn't even, she didn't even darken the door on that bitch. No, she didn't even have to step foot into... She only went to court. She was in the hospital and she went to court. And that's it. She never... three Only three years of probation. I know people that have gotten more for that for way less. I, it's crazy. That's... The United States government gave her a fucking slap a pass. on the wrist. A tap on the wrist. Not even a slap on the wrist. Fuck. It's crazy. But, of course... It is what it is. It is what it is. She got her karma by being in a car accident. And she clearly had a fucking uh, drug problem with Which the oxys. I, I think she still does. She has some shifty eyes. And I get, yeah. I get she had a spinal cord injury. Or brain injury. What, I mean... Some, she had a lot she, of shit. A lot honestly, of shit happened. It was a lot for me to even process what she was saying. And yeah. the fact that they let her say it. So, something was fucked up. But to me, the shifty eyes are mm-hmm. 100% oh, yeah. an opioid thing. And once, like, we saw that she was, like, living free, I was like, where the fuck is Jeffrey? Right. Her, <laughs> who? Who let this bitch out? I was <sighs> shocked when they put her on the screen. If Jeffrey wants a redemption arc, he know what to do. Yeah, honestly. But, of course, we know this did not stop the problem. Just shutting down Dr. Cleggett did nothing. It 
only made it worse because it, yeah i mean she had cornered the market at that point she did. so she just opened up for a lot more people to come in oh yeah it pretty much tripled the market in new orleans specifically that's what they mentioned but yeah there's there was no way that you can shut one pill mill down all those addicts and all that money somebody was bound to pop up and take her place and that's exactly what happened and things just got so much worse it, it it intensified and you know at this point dan of course he already is aware of this and what's going on many people are aware of what's going on here and you know just seeing the amount of people that they know and love end up in the obituaries every week it's it's ridiculous and it's kind of like well we got her but what can we do now to yeah. shut this down and beyond obituaries i mean i'm sure so many of them were being incarcerated too i mean oh yeah just, this goes well, beyond the only thing, like they said before, they yeah, couldn't arrest people. arrest people because they had prescriptions. Yeah, but... that's what made it so sticky and such a huge issue. And, you know, of course, Dan can't sit idly by. So he does what he does best. He considers he con- continues he to fight the good fight. The shit, yeah. yeah, he starts, you know, really trying to figure out what he can do. He starts writing politicians. He starts going back onto the news and talking about this. He starts talking to kids about opioid addiction. Because, I mean, most of these kids have grown up with parents, cousins, uncles, all the, their whole, you know, not their whole family, but family members that have been addicted to. Nobody's uh, been untouched by this. No, and no one's been unaffected. And like we said, like, there was a huge separation between the ninth ward and St. Bernard Parish, but now everyone is pretty much intermingled because of this. Whether it be crack, whether it be opioids, whether it be anything, everybody seems to be affected. Oh yeah. And you know, Dan was doing everything that he could. And then he decided to pretty much take on big pharma. Like he was not afraid, you know, Dan got some big old balls at this point. (laughs) Like he for sure. (laughs) (laughs) he's not afraid to take on anybody no and then some tragedy strikes in about august 25th 2005 this is when we get word about hurricane katrina i was feeling good about where i was going with my mission and so i scheduled a town hall meeting we were getting very very close uh, to that meeting, we had a date scheduled. I'd already printed materials on it. And then we heard about a hurricane that was out in the Gulf. There has been a subtle change in the track of this, which may mean- Hurricane Katrina continues to move west, taking aim at southeast Louisiana. My cell phone rings and the Sheriff Stevens says yes. He says, I'm with the National Hurricane Center. I'm sorry to have to make this call. He said, but you're going to have a 30-foot wall of water hit your parish tomorrow. You're going to flood levee to levee. It's not going to be a structured spad. And you're going to have significant loss of life. God bless you and good luck. And they hung the phone up. If persons haven't evacuated by now, they need to leave immediately. It is a 100% probability For God's sake, if you're listening to this broadcast right now, get out. People had kind of warned some major damage might happen, but we just could not envision the entire St. Bernard. We learn that New Orleans and the Ninth Ward and St. Bernard Parish are pretty much all underwater. 
Um, and for three weeks, Dan and his family and everybody in that area was displaced. I mean, I'm pretty sure at this point, everybody has seen pictures of Hurricane Katrina and what the effect was on Louisiana and how the devastation. It's not just... that I had forgotten, but the way that the movie presents this, especially mm-hmm. with the montage of the Schneider's house before and after, yeah. especially with the footage of when Danny Jr. was alive, put it into perspective for me. And not even just for the Schneider's specifically, yeah. but... Like, I was just thinking about how their house literally was big enough to have a 17-foot-tall Christmas tree. So I can only imagine what somebody living in, like, the worst part of the Lower Ninth Ward's oh, yeah. house looked like after that. Oh, I yeah. Mean, it was devastation all over the place. And people were desperate. To, and people lost everything. If and they didn't that lose changed. their lives, they lost their livelihoods. So or they lost just, people that they knew, yeah. their neighbors, anyone. And that just pretty much, when people are in devastation, they turn to alcohol and drugs to cope. And that's pretty much what happened. And another wave of people just getting addicted, even though if they weren't addicted before, now that they're falling on hard times, Times, they're really looking for a way out or something to numb the pain. Yeah. And then on top of that, people are coming into Hurricane from after Hurricane Katrina to come and help rebuild, rebuild all of these places that were devastated by the hurricane. And those workers are getting hurt and they're having pains and they're being prescribed oxys. Yeah. Like they there's no one that's really being untouched by this. Even though people are just coming down there to do a good thing, they're being overprescribed by these doctors because they're in pain. And they have to keep working. Yeah. It's just a vicious cycle. And like the fire just keeps, keeps getting bigger. And you kind of just like wonder, like the more this documentary goes on, you kind of just wonder when the fuck is this going to end? Yeah. Is it going to end? Is it going to end? Is it going to get better? Is Dan going to get justice? But I mean, we live in the real world. So of course we can look around and we know that the opioid crisis is still vamping. I mean, this is pre-fentanyl crisis. I mean, it's only gotten worse. It has. And uh, we also learned that, you know, once the Snyders go, Snyders go back to their house, some things yeah. are saved. <laughs> so just the way that Karma came for Cleggett's ass, Karma was looking out for Dan a little bit. The only thing in the house that was fully preserved was his attic full of receipts and evidence. Which is wonderful. When Katrina came, almost... All of Danny's documents and everything was upstairs in the attic. Everything in the attic got saved. And it was amazing because everything else pretty much was destroyed. And so I felt God wanted me to do something beyond Cleggett. OxyContin was still out there. The only way we could make a serious dent in this was to go at the source. Something had to be done about Purdue Pharma. In 2007, Purdue Pharma was convicted of misrepresenting the abuse liability or the addictive potential of OxyContin. Purdue's marketing of OxyContin was deceptive and criminal. It is important to note that most of the people never claimed that Purdue was solely responsible for their loved one's death. They just wanted Purdue to tell the truth about the drug. The patients were told this has lower addictive qualities Compared to fucking what? Yeah, like Chris said, compared to fucking what? I mean, this shit is basically heroin. Like, we heard from him, like, we heard from mm-hmm. other people. It's 
heroin in a pill. It's heroin in a pill. It's completely addictive. There were entire war. I mean, the opioid wars, like the opium wars, like even back hundreds of years ago, this was a problem. And it's only gotten mainstreamed, mainlined, and freebased at this point. I mean... (laughs) I just don't understand why we decided. And I know I ranted about this in another episode. Um, here we go tangent because I know you have shit to say about it too. But why did we go straight for using opioids as pain management instead of going for cannabis, medical cannabis? Doesn't even have to necessarily be THC. Mm-hmm. CBD. It could be CBD. It could be. There's so many. There's so med- medicinal many properties cannabinoids too. that we have not even researched because of the stigma and the federal mm-hmm. ban on fucking medical cannabis. And now that we're starting to get a peek into it and people are like actually people are realizing it's non addictive. Like no. yes, you can psychologically be addicted to smoking pot, but that is not anything. you can be addicted to coffee. Same. You could be addicted to online shopping. You could be addicted to going to Walmart. You could be addicted <laughs> to sniffing gasoline. You could be addicted to, to stuffed animals. You're you probably be, going to get addicted yeah, to oxycontin. Yeah, you could be addicted to literally anything. And, you know, Dan is is just kind of, he's just trying to, he's trying to do good. He's trying to prevent people from dying from this the same way his son did. But then he's seeing that it's not even getting to that point. People are just taking the stuff and then just dying from it, like overdosing. And he was able to, you know, testify against Purdue Pharma. Purdue Pharma was convicted and they were ordered to pay... Six hundred thirty-four million motherfucking dollars. To whom, who fucking knows? But they were ordered to pay that in fines. Clearly, the people that uh, were affected by this crisis didn't see a dime of that. No, I don't know where that money went. I'm confused. I need a breakdown. You could probably still go to a doctor right now and be like, "Oh, yeah. my my back hurts," and get Oxy. ninety oxies yeah. that easy. For I sure. Mean, I just need Dan to pull the receipts on where that $634 million went. I need need... to obviously double or triple that fine for the next time because Mm -hmm. they ain't learned. They're never going to learn. And, you know, after that, people, you know, are still able to get Oxy, like we said. And Dan's just like, we need to have a fucking different approach because this is, it's, this not, this is not working. Purdue Pharma was convicted. All they had to do was pay money. They didn't stop selling it. People are still getting addicted to it. And Dan pretty much tries to start going to educate the public again. And this is when he creates the Tunnel of Hope. Um, And this is like his program that he has where he educates people on the addic- on addictions and how people become addicted and how doctors can mislead you and things like that or the signs of addiction, things like that, just to help people because he wants to do good. And all of with all of this, Dan is able to get the medical boards to design a program that keeps track of how many drugs or how many pills that the doctors are prescribing to people. So now it's no longer like on paper, like, or a chalk tally. Yeah, literally chasing around, yeah. like, boxes of files Mm-mm. and just They're trying to They're not having to, to go from Barbie to so- pharmacy to pharmacy, like Iris said earlier. They, everything is digital. They can literally go on a computer and see how many pills a, doc- a certain doctor pushes out. And this is when they start really getting on asses of the doctors because they are catching people left Left and and fucking right. I mean, I can understand if you were a doctor and you maybe had a couple of patients that were out of state, but like the things that they were finding out about Cluggett, I can only imagine what else was going on. 
Enforcement agency. Dr. Richard Paulino was charged with more than a thousand counts of fraud associated with OxyContin prescriptions. We finally started curtailing doctors a little bit to reduce the OxyContin that they wrote. The 61 year old physician was basically a drug dealer with a medical license. OxyContin began getting restricted. Pharmacies were refusing to fill certain prescriptions. It was just getting harder for people that were addicted to get those opioids prescribed. So people moved to heroin. People get addicted and then the supply goes away. So what happens when the supply goes away? People find a new supply because they're addicted and they don't have any other options. The drug cartels saw an opportunity to fill an enormous vacuum with the interruption of the pill mills. Then all of a sudden, we got as bad a drug problem as we've ever had. We want this is why we must treat addiction as a medical crisis and not and whatever the fuck we're treating it like. Yeah, we're treating it like a personal problem when it's a public health crisis. It is. And my man Chris Davis is coming with the heat. I mean, people regardless of anything can become addicted to oh, anything, yeah. especially pharmaceuticals. At the end of the day, we're all humans, so like it's all chemical. Addiction knows no bounds. No. It were it's it will affect anybody and it can take over anyone. It can consume anybody. And People don't understand that if you take that away or take away their source of whatever their addiction is, they're just going to go to something else. And I mean, like Dan told us, oxys are pretty fucking hardcore. That's yeah. like the top of the line. And then when they tell us that, like, first it was oxy, then it was heroin, and now it's fentanyl. Like, in fentanyl, they showed us, like, a comparison of, like, how much fentanyl you can take that will make you overdose. And it's, like, less than a, like, if you had a little it's, bit under your fingernail. It's, like... What freaks me out the most is like you could literally touch a dollar bill yes. and die at this point because oh, fentanyl yeah. is so deadly. This is things that they give to cancer patients, like stage like stage five cancer, like you're literally going to die, like and you're just in pain and we're keeping you comfortable. Yeah. That's what they give they give fentanyl to. If you're just a regular run of the mill person, you don't need to touch that shit. I had a teacher in school whose son died because he took um Oh my goodness, what is that called? He was he did heroin, but instead of that, he took a uh, Suboxone or whatever. Oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever, I don't think it was Suboxone, Suboxone specifically, but it was like whatever they give people who are coming off of drugs. They gave him one of those and he died. Methadone. methadone. He had meth he had oh. he died from methadone. He took methadone and died. Wow. Because if you're not actually addicted and you don't need methadone and you take methadone recreationally, it can kill you. Oh, yeah, because there are people that abuse it. Yeah. I've heard. And I mean, there's nothing you can really do to treat someone's addiction besides really actually treating their addiction. You can't just treat their addiction with something else. No. And you have to look at the root causes of addiction. You have to look at the psychological component, at the genetic component. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, people are in pain, but you know, you can only give them so much before they become addicted to it or 
they or are, or to a certain point where their sensors and receptors yeah. are burnt out from all of this and i mean there's just other alternative ways that we need to look into medicine cannabis and you know other holistic thing holistic yeah. ways there are other ways there's that also a lot can, of mental health yeah. issues at play here and mm-hmm. there's a lot of counseling that needs to happen yes. especially with addiction and rehab things that need to happen that aren't happening and the stigma around all of it that needs to be crushed. And I think nowadays people are getting a little bit more in tune to self-care and talking to therapists and things like that. But it's not all face masks and bubble baths, unfortunately. No, it's not. But I definitely think that people need to talk to a therapist or they need to find an outlet or have someone that is, has some knowledge to guide them on their journey of figuring out what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Because we're all, at the end of the day, we all are dealing with things and the way that you deal with your situations, because life is always going to be fucking hard. Life is always going to come at you sideways whenever the fuck it wants to, but you just have to know how to deal with these things. You have to roll with the punches and their coping mechanisms. And you have to keep your receipts. Yeah, you do. As we learned from Dan. For sure. But we get to hear a little bit more from M and her perspective of this whole entire situation. Cheaper than prescription pills, heroin gives users the same fix, but at a significantly lower cost. Prescription opioids became the gateway to heroin addiction. 75% of heroin users said the first opioid they ever used was a prescription opioid. When you're getting something legal from a doctor with a legitimate prescription, it's not like, you know, going into the city and buying heroin on the street, which is illegal. It's dirtier to people. But an addict is an addict, and if you put a heroin addict and an Oxycontin addict in a room for a few days using, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart because it does the same exact thing. M pretty much lets us know from an addict's perspective that if that they don't really feel that this drug can harm them because it is prescribed over the counter. It's not something that you're getting on the street. Someone's just whipping it up in the kitchen. Like they feel that they can trust this and that it's a little less harmful. Like she said, yeah. it's cleaner. You don't which, have to hold somebody's hand and walk through a back alleyway for a baggie of who knows what. Yeah. You're getting a pre-portioned dosage. Mm-hmm. Legitimately. I mean, you can literally go to Kroger, get, some fucking popsicles and get your Oxycontin fix and go home. Like, yeah. I mean, as long as you get a prescription and that's, that's where they thought like, okay, well maybe if they get a prescription, like it'll be okay. But no, the doctors aren't doing the right thing. A lot of them are being convicted and being red flagged because they're literally giving out thousands and thousands of pills a day, a day. It makes absolutely no sense. And, you know, of course, (laughs) as this documentary goes on, I get more and more depressed because the opioid epidemic is still chugging along. And, you know, we're hearing more news footage, um, specifically around St. Bernard Parish and what's going on there. It was alarming. It was it was a shock. Come on, buddy. Come on. We're losing more people every year. Jay, wake up. Drugs come in seasons. First it was Oxycontin season, heroin season, and now we have fentanyl season. Fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin or morphine, and so extremely lethal. 
people think they're getting one thing and they're actually getting a mixture of that drug and fentanyl, which means that heroin on the street is much more potent than it had been. Here in St. Bernard Parish, every one of us knows someone who's lost a child or a relative to addiction of prescription opioids and then heroin. We have innocent Americans who have become addicted to a drug that was designed to relieve them of pain. This was so devastating in St. Bernard Parish, it makes me think of another addictive drug, tobacco. During the national litigation against the cigarette industry, I was representing St. Bernard Parish to investigate and eventually prosecute the tobacco industry for addicting smokers and causing death. The tobacco industry had denied the addictive properties of cigarettes and hired doctors to teach the public that cigarette smoking was really a choice, that it was a matter of free will and it was not addictive. So unfortunately, because people are going from these prescription drugs to street drugs, because now it's getting a lot harder to get a prescription because doctors are no longer wanting to risk it all. What happened to compassionate care, idiots? Yeah, compassionate care was a little bit too compassionate way too compassionate and people are addicted and now they're left high and dry and we know that no, you can't they're not just high anymore they're just dry <laughs> <laughs> now they're just left dry and we know that people that have serious addictions or that have been taking oxys for the past what two three four five years or whatever or even Who like a few months long. or a few weeks they're going to need something to make themselves feel normal. Yeah. Not even just, just get high, just to feel normal. And like they said, people are going to street drugs and now they're getting shit that's mixed with things that are harder, way harder. And like we said, fentanyl doesn't take much. It takes literally less than, uh, like it's smaller than a penny, the size of yeah. a penny or a dime. It's, I mean, it's smaller than a dime. It's like... It's like like a pinhead size. Like, yeah, it's a very small portion of fentanyl will... Kill you. Kill you dead. For sure. And these people aren't knowing what they're really getting into. And I mean, you're getting the people that have already done street drugs before being mixed, getting their stuff mixed with harder, harder drugs. You're also getting people that have only had prescription drugs. Like people that have never dabbled in street drugs. Yeah. And I mean, it's also now harder for people that actually are, are in pain and need these drugs to get them because they're being looked at like drug addicts. And that's not fair to them, but you can't really... You can't tell the difference. Yeah, you can't tell... I mean, you can tell the difference to an extent, but after a while, people get so manipulative and they will lie and they will do whatever they could. I mean, can. we saw people bringing in their kids to Dr. Cleggett to oh, get these yeah. drugs. There's no limits to what they'll do. There's none. And at this point, <clears throat> you know, it's very hard to say like what can be done about this. And Dan's doing what he can. He was able to, he's, I mean, he's done fucking everything. He's gotten his receipts on Dr. Claggett. He's taken this bitch to fucking court. The U.S. attorney didn't even really do shit to her. Other farm, like, pill mills have popped up in her place. He decided, okay, fine, I'm gonna go to the medical board and we're gonna start a program so that these doctors can't fucking prescribe stuff to people. That kind of worked. And now it worked a little too well because now the addicts are going to the streets and then they're being... Uh, pretty much they're dosed putting with a bunch of shit. They're being put back in the situations that catapulted this in the first place. They're oh, back yeah. in shady drug deals 
and it just really has come full circle and Dan's kind of feeling defeated, but yeah. he's gotten a lot done. He has. I mean, round of applause for Dan. Like yes. he's done so much already, but like, um, the next person that we're going to meet, Walter Ledger, Legger, um, he pretty much explains to us how this situation is pretty much going to go. He compares it to uh, when Big Tobacco was taken to court. Let me ask you first, I'd like to just go down the row, uh, whether each of you believes uh, that nicotine is not addictive. When the chief executive officers of the major tobacco company stood and raised their hands. I believe nicotine is not addictive, yes. I believe nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. When we discovered in litigation later, every one of them had tremendous amounts of information in-house that proved that the drug was addictive and that many of them were engineering their product to make it more addictive. The same thing happened in medicine. And that's essentially what Purdue did with OxyContin. OxyContin from a molecular level is pretty much identical to heroin or any other opioid you can get on the street. You know, Purdue Pharma, they knew that and they just didn't care. We are literally watching a repeat of what the tobacco industry did. They Only hid worse. Information. <laughs> Only worse. They hid information. They were enhancing their shit to make it stronger. And that's exactly, exactly what Purdue Pharma was doing. At least Every... tobacco, like, drug it out a little bit. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. At least you had to smoke a pack a day for a couple of years to be totally fucked. Oh, yeah. And every single person at Purdue Pharma from the very, very bottom where Chris Davis was to the very, very motherfucking top knew every single thing. They knew all of it. They knew all of it. It was undeniable. And every single time they just denied, 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 deferred, deferred. And then there were multiple states that were deciding to take action. They were like, you know what? We're going to take this fight from you, Dan, and we're going to decide to do something to help our people. And each state pretty much decided to take uh, action and um, basically draw up lawsuits against Purdue Pharma. So in 2018, over 2,000 lawsuits were brought up against Purdue Pharma. 2,000 lawsuits. Honestly, that's a high number, but in perspective, it seems pretty low given the casualties that we've heard about it just in New mm -hmm. Orleans alone. Oh, yeah. And then we learned that Dan and Walter, the guy that to told us about the tobacco industry and how they pretty much BS'd everybody, um, they actually went to high school together. And he was the attorney that was going to be leading the fight for St. Bernard Parish in their lawsuit against Purdue Pharma. So that was like a really cute moment to see that. More money than the United States Department of Justice has to fight this issue. The Sackler family, which is the family behind Purdue Pharmaceuticals, is worth $13 billion. And they essentially made that money on the backs of OxyContin. And they have been able to evade any kind of personal responsibility for the opiate epidemic until now. For the first time, the Sacklers have been named in multiple lawsuits. Today, the Attorney General of Massachusetts pushed for the release of more documents from Purdue Pharma. Newly obtained emails and memos from then-President Richard Sackler. 
writing in a confidential email, we have to hammer on the abusers in every way possible. What these lawsuits have meant is that we've had access to these private emails showing that the Sackler family was totally and completely in it for the money. Of course, at the end of this documentary, we get an eyeful. We get to see this crusty, dusty bunch named the Sackler family. More and like I'm telling the, you, like suck on a Sackler family. Like fuck all y'all. If you look at the picture or if you watch this documentary and see what they look like, it they are the crustiest bunch of people I've ever seen. All that life. money, no class. No. And, you know, at this point, they are rich as fuck like they billionaires billionaires and they made all of that off of oxy all of that off of oxy and they honestly don't give a fuck and they had full full knowledge of what was going on and they did not care they all they cared about was making their billions of dollars with stuff in their sacklers and creating addicts like it doesn't it just i don't understand how people could live like that but they also aren't living the way that they look they look like the living dead yeah we need to tax them motherfuckers too oh, but yeah. that's a whole nother podcast and you know they're yeah they may be billionaires but that's not stopping them from being named in these lawsuits no which is good i mean yeah all they're gonna do is throw some money at it yeah but they shouldn't be excluded from this at all in any way shape or form especially once the emails came out and there were more receipts showing that they knew what was going on and that they were even pushing harder for the addicts to be targeted for these doctors that are running pill mills to be targeted so that they could continue to make more and more money and not only did they start a fucking drug epidemic, they literally turned around and they join the fucking treatment of the addiction treatment business. Mm -hmm. They start doing rehab. They're making more money off a problem that they created. Like this was literally yeah. a thing. This is an idea that they had that they decided to start making it a fucking epidemic, get these people addicted and then say, oh, and then sell I'm them so a 90 sorry. day program. And then, yeah, sell them a 90 day and program. then set them up to start all over. Literally, like they just came full circle with this whole entire thing just to keep people through that revolving door and continue to make billions and billions of dollars off the backs of addicts. And it's ridiculous. And we got to see Purdue Pharma, none of those people fucking served jail time. No. Dr. Klinger didn't fucking serve jail time either. And majority of those doctors that, I mean, she was pretty much like the first, she was the first doctor that had ever been prosecuted by the U.S., attorney's office and that's sad because this was the 2000s i mean yeah i mean this is the 2000s but at the same time this is they've never seen or i guess they never had a hand i mean there's always this. been negligence but yeah, yeah this is the first this is the first time that they have like a a really good case brought up against a doctor like I mean, the DEA agents told us they couldn't just go in. Of course, they see that this shit is like really going left and that they sent people in there as decoys to go see what's going on and get prescriptions from this lady. But they can't do, they can only do so much. There's yeah. due process. And that's the thing that really stopped them. And then also the U.S. journey, attend, uh, the U.S. attorneys were pretty much just like pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. And then once they found out that the medical board could really, 
stop people yeah. in their tracks, that's when they were like, oh, bitch, maybe we'll, it's on and popping. Yeah, maybe we'll get this done. Who oh, knows? Yeah. And I mean, not to say that people still aren't negligent. I mean, people can definitely fake and say, oh, well, I just need, you know, to get a prescription. They can fake their medical records. I mean, we saw fucking Gypsy, Gypsy Rose. Rose. Oh, I knew yeah, you were going there. Yeah, can fake anything and claim that they have all kinds of injuries and all kinds of pains and aches and stuff like that. And that really just hinders the people that are actually suffering. And I mean, I understand addicts. I understand. I mean, I don't understand addicts, but I understand that addicts are going to do whatever they can to feel normal and to not feel in pain because of their addiction or to, you know, just feel normal just to go functioning about their day. But we really, really, really need to treat addiction as a medical problem instead of a personal problem or a criminal problem yeah you can't just throw people in jail and then expect them to come out of jail rehabilitate themselves and then also not be addicted they get out of jail they don't have anywhere to live they can't pay their bills they're they have no support they're now uh, have a target on their back saying that they're a criminal and people are not willing to hire them and they're down on their luck even more and what we have what have we said time and time again people that are down on their luck a lot of times will resort to drugs and alcohol because they want to escape their reality and that's on that. And I mean, at the end of this documentary, pretty much, you know, Dan and goes, you know, he continues to fight. He continues to advocate for. Um, I mean, he's still fighting to this day. I yeah. mean, he's on fire. As soon as they roll the tape in the beginning, he's like, where do I start? Yeah. How do I keep it going? Y'all just gonna let me talk? Like, okay, fine. I'll he was talk. ready. He was ready. He was ready to get. And I think this definitely this Netflix documentary helped promote what he's trying to do. I know that there's a lot of uh, confliction when it comes to people talking about opi- the opioid crisis because there was a crap, ep- crap, because there was the crack epidemic earlier on and how black people literally were just seen as drug addicts when the government, the government. literally put crack cocaine into uh, low income and impoverished areas and nobody bad a fucking eyelash. Mm-mm. But now that this... Now that upper echelon white kids are hit, addicted to fentanyl, it's a problem. It's like, a, it's a problem. I mean, it's, always, yeah, been it's problem. always been a problem. I'm glad it's being addressed. However, the marginalized have been suffering with this issue for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. I know I compared it in another episode to the AIDS epidemic. Until it starts affecting young little rich white boys mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit or and usually it's too late like yeah that's literally or affecting your daughter their or kids affecting your family yeah. members, affecting your wife that's when you really want to take a look at this and figure out what's going on but at this point it's too late it's already wandered into the it's suburbs way too it's late. wandered into your backyard it's wandered you know into your neighbor's house like there's no stopping it addiction knows no bounds that's why you can't just put shit like this out on the market and then see how's and, it gonna go and let and people, lie about it, And too. then let people just prescribe it left and right, like Willy Dr. Cleggett did, 80 milligrams, and you weigh 80 pounds. Like, what? Excuse me. It makes absolutely no sense. And I'm just really glad I'm addicted to codeine and really all- You're addicted to codeine? Allergic. Are you addicted to codeine? I'm a dumbass. Delete Delete that. all the tapes. Everyone need to heard go that, right? Addicted. I'm allergic to codeine. I'm not addicted to codeine. <laughs> if I ate one five milligram hydrocodone right ate. now- if I ate an opioid, I would <laughs> fucking vomit for like 24 hours. Yeah. And I would be so disgusted. But I think that this documentary was, it, it was very telling on a lot of things. It went in so many directions I did not yes. expect. 
yeah i'm i mean we from jeffrey to dr quiet oh to dan being crazy all the fucking time to them mourning their son's death just to the whole the morning family process suicide, the family, the family suicide, pack. suicide pack it was a lot it was an emotional roller coaster and we were along for the whole entire ride oh my god and, and literally like watching clips and hearing audio yeah from that moment i say that's probably the most unique aspect of this oh, is yeah. that it's all firsthand for the most part and it's from dan who was the main person that was rallying this whole entire thing and i mean hats dan, off to dan he, yeah dan is the man dan's the a hero cleggett is a monster i really 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 can only imagine what karma has left in store for that oh, bitch yeah. I hope her kids went to college, but I'm pretty sure once they see this shit, they're not going to want to show their face. Pretty sure they're not going to want to become doctors either. No. I feel like legally they'll be like, you can't be a doctor because no. of your mother. It's like when people, their parents take out credit cards in their name or they take <laughs> out a Comcast bill and now you can never have you Comcast can never for have the rest com- of your life. <laughs> you are never allowed near a prescription pad. Yeah. Sorry. But it's, this pharmacist was a wild ride and I definitely enjoyed every bit of it. I... I was so ready when you were sleeping while I was catching up and I saw Dr. Clayette pop up. I like hollered. I was just like, oh my God, what the fuck? How is this? I need to see episode four right now. And definitely check it out on Netflix. Um, it's definitely a doozy. You get to see what everyone looks like. You get to see the mm. crusty, dusty, <laughs> crusty Sackler dusty family. Sacklers. You get to see what Dr. Cleggett looks like and Ew. all of her karma. <laughs> but I definitely would um, check it out. But You yeah. can also check us out. We have lots more episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. And, of course, we're on social media at High Time for True Crime and... Although we have some scam alert episodes coming up with guests, we are still accepting applications or submissions. Sorry, submissions we'll for scam alerts. We'll never stop. <laughs> uh, and you'll never stop being scammed. Sorry to let you know in on that. But if you would like to submit a scam to us, you can email us at hightimefortruecrime at gmail.com. Yes. Um, and next we're going to be doing Aaron Hernandez. Uh, <laughs> we've been working on Aaron Hernandez since we started the podcast. Yes. We just have never gotten it finished because it makes it us is want to so... drink every time we talk about it <sighs> God. and we'll definitely be doing a little bit of some videos of us talking about our experience yes. with talking aaron hernandez about... is the dr yeah. cleggett of sports yeah <laughs> it's um an intense journey there are a lot of thoughts and feelings that we have but definitely stay tuned for in the next few weeks we will be releasing those episodes and some videos of us probably drinking wine and talking about how much we hate Aaron Hernandez. But until next time, I'm Khadija. And I'm Catherine. And this has been High Time for True Crime. Also, sorry for ruining your day.